Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. Well, this morning, before I pray, I want to tell you where we're going this morning. Welcome back, everybody that's been on vacation and everything. Um, We're going to study the birthing of the Corinthian church, and it's going to come through a door or window that surprises all of us, and I hopefully, I hopefully see it connected to you and what God wants to do in your life. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, was this amazing evangelist. I mean, let's face it, planting churches all throughout the Roman Empire, and this brave man beat up so many times and, and uh, just always in the gap, in the slot, for Jesus, but the question is, did he ever get discouraged? Did he ever flinch at preaching again because he knows the next time I open my mouth, I'm gonna just get a fist in the face again? And uh, wouldn't it be easier, particularly uh, in religious settings, wouldn't it be easier to just go to the Gentiles and just forget about uh, the the synagogue situation because that's often where he found himself getting beat up. And we find this vulnerable Paul having this encounter with Jesus in a way that not only affects his ministry to Corinth, but I believe for the rest of his life. And it may tie in with your life as well. So let me just read to you the verse that we're gonna pivot around. Uh, One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that just as you appeared to Paul and you spoke to him, that you by your Holy Spirit and by your word your holy script, that you would speak to us this morning and give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the good news is that the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that gospel comes to Corinth. And it reads like this in verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. The Greeks are Gentiles. It's everybody who's not Jewish in that world is Greek, but the same word for Greek is the word for Gentile, which includes uh, many of us here. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself extensively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out 
his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent from it, of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Paul travels. This is, remember, his second missionary journey. And if you look at the map, you'll see, again, Paul's second missionary journey, the white dotted line or arrowed line leaving Antioch, going through modern-day Turkey, over into Greece for the first time, the gospel coming to Europe, then down into Athens, and now he crosses over to Corinth before he'll eventually go back, visit Briefly, Ephesus, and then all the way back uh, to Caesarea and Jerusalem, and eventually back to Antioch. So this right here, you can see in a larger map from Athens to Corinth, it looks like this. Paul traveling this small distance, 65 miles from here to Orange County, Uh, traveling this distance, and the gap culturally between Athens, this uh, what you might call the Boston, the, the, the university town, over to the working town of Corinth, and there he's going to have this encounter with Jesus. So Paul meets up with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, here is one of the rare places where Aquila's name occurs first. Probably as a couple, it seemed that they ministered together. Their names are almost entirely mentioned together, but usually Priscilla's name occurs, ladies, you'll like this, before Aquila, just probably because she was just the most demonstrative person in the couple. Uh, Then people thought of her first before they thought of Aquila, and they ministered together. And what they did in making tents, the tents were out of goat hair. And this may interest you, the part uh, of Turkey that Paul came from, southeastern Turkey, uh, there, there was a plethora of, of goats, raising goats with black hair, and it was used to make tents. And tents uh, were uh, just used all over the kingdom of Rome. It's not just the Bedouins that used these tents, but if you can imagine a Bedouin tent, uh, which are black, made of goat hair, and the reason they work as tents is that they would weave these really tight, just like you would with sheep wool, only this would be goat hair, uh, and then you would wet it down, and when the the uh, fabric dries, it shrinks and dries very, very tight, so there's no gaps and and it disallows water to come through. And these tents would be used for large things like weddings uh, temporarily, or they'd be used for small things like a shed just attached to a house or anything in between. Probably if your in-laws come and visit you, uh, you would have a tent. Is that what you do now Uh, when they come and visit you? So Paul partners with these two, and they become not only tent partners, but they become ministry partners for life. They do a lot together, and you'll see their names occur many, many more times in the New Testament. 
And Priscilla and Aquila are here because they got kicked out of Rome. Claudius, the emperor, who was emperor from uh, 41 to 54 AD, preceding the notorious Caesar Nero, Caesar Claudius ruled that all the Jews had to leave Rome. He had had it. Uh, Apparently, there was several disturbances of Judaizers trying to make Gentiles uh, Jews. And this idea of proselytizing often bothers people around the world. It's, It's still a big deal today in India and Nepal and many other countries where religious freedom is allowed, but the crossing over is frowned upon, and that was the case of Claudia. He, he supported religious freedom. We have that from uh, Roman historians, but he was against this proselytizing. So they now are finding themselves in, in Corinth, and Paul comes, and there Paul is freed up to finally preach the gospel exclusively, uh, full-time, through Priscilla and Aquila and them making money, and then finally Silas and Timothy, who have been caught up in in Thessalonica and in Philippi, they were supposed to come down and meet him in Athens. They never showed up. They were too caught up in ministry in northern Greece. They finally show up in in Corinth, and now Paul is set free full-time to do what's on his heart. And he begins to minister, as he always did, in the synagogue. But when uh, things become, and the word is an interesting word, abusive, and there's no definition given to us, but abusive, Paul draws a line in the sand. He says, that's it. I'm done. And I think, actually, it'd be good for us to pause right here and say that that would be a good reminder for all of us uh, when we think of religious and spiritual dialogue with other people, or if things cross over into political uh, ideas of how I, as a believer, think about things, there is a line in the sand that you and I are never, never, never to cross. And if we cross it, we revisit it, and we ask for forgiveness. And that is to be so right that I damage the people that I'm talking to, either verbally and, God forbid, physically. And you and I know, I know you're probably saying, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. But uh, you and I have seen it. If you haven't seen it on TV, where people over something we're passionate for and our, our necks are bulging with our veins, you know, we're just... We can't believe that someone would disagree with us that much. It's a time to just back off and take a deep breath and say, hey, what would I win if I hurt the person that I'm trying to convince? Whether through words, name-calling, the tone of my voice. I'm thinking of a specific instance in my own life. I was... Uh, sharing Christ as I have (laughs) dozens of times with a particular person uh, in San Diego who has more of a Buddhist, uh, new age, uh, perennial philosophy, very brilliant. And we love each other dearly, but uh, we were having lunch one time 
in a favorite Thai restaurant, and, uh, and, and he just became a little bit too strong in the ping pong game of exchanging views and challenging each other's views. My Christianity, he was raised Christian, abandoned his faith uh, for his, his faith now. And in my mind, he crossed the line, uh, making fun of Jesus, making fun of my Christianity. And I could just feel, I just thought, you don't do that. I need to somehow defend Jesus right here. (laughs) What the what? Defend Jesus? What are we talking about here? I took a deep breath, pushed my plate a little bit away from the edge, and I looked at him, and I, I switched. I, I could feel my eyes filling up with tears because that's what I was really feeling. I was feeling, you know, the fact that he would reject my Lord. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I love these discussions, but I, I think we're done for today. I think we're good. It spared me a lot. It's, you know, that I didn't throw any knives at him and that I didn't, I didn't call him any names. I didn't get loud. I didn't get abusive. Now, I could tell you the times that I did early on in my Christianity. Darn right Christianity is not right. Expressing the truth without love is not right. We need to truth it in love. You with me? Yeah. Enough said. This will take us on through the 21st century if we do this. So Paul is preaching the gospel, goes to the synagogue. They become abusive to him. He backs away. And now uh, he is free to preach the gospel. You and I need to know that the response of people to the gospel is always going to be different. It just is. And not only with friends individually, but with neighborhoods, with communities, with cities. Sometimes a city will just be on fire, and you can read the revivalists to find out about this. Why is one city completely open to the gospel and another city very close to the gospel? And I'm sure if we could see into the spiritual realm, we would understand darkness and light, and we would understand what has happened to loosen the soil, to prepare for the gospel, and why some soil is hardened soil, like Jesus speaks of in the the parable of the four soils. So you and I, we just have to be faithful to what God has called us. But here's the key. Paul focused on the responsive. Paul recognized when people were responding and he went there. It's just like a gold miner finding gold. You don't say, well, I got to be equal with all gold mines. Leave this here and go to another gold mine, start all over. No, you found gold. Dig it out. Keep going. Keep going. See how far this gold vein goes. And, And so that was Paul's philosophy. 
And it can be ours as well, where you find someone responsive. Let's get together some more. Let's get. You find someone that's not very responsive. They're still your friend. You still love them. Uh, yes, let's still hang together. But uh, put your fishing line into the pool where the fish are biting, right? And that's what Paul did. Jesus experienced the same thing. Think of it. The Son of God experienced the same thing. He comes to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, who doesn't want to win their hometown? Paul wanted to win the Jews. Those are his people. Didn't have the success he had with the Gentiles. Jesus wanted to win his own hometown. He comes there, but because of the scripture says in Matthew 13, around verse 58, because of their unbelief. This can't be the guy. He grew up here. You know, this can't be the guy. Because of their unbelief, he could do very little miracles. And they eventually tried, as you know in the story uh, in Luke, they try to kill him, throw him over a precipice. And he pulls a Yoda move and uh, escapes and walks away. <laughs> but I have found that the people that respond, this, this is a correlation that I think is borne out by experience, that where there's brokenness of spirit, Jesus calls it poverty of spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Where there's brokenness, there's more openness. It's tweetable, isn't it? Where there's brokenness, there's more openness. Now, the difficulty is none of us want to wake up and be broken, right? What breaks you? Uh, sickness, broken relationships, loss of job, financial difficulty, whatever difficulties end up breaking us. We all avoid, at least I do, avoid difficulties at all costs. I want well-being in every way. But the person that has it all together is usually not open to the gospel. I don't need a savior. I've got it all together. So that's usually the correlation that we're looking for. So Paul, he's in Corinth. And it says in verse 9 again, Jesus appears to him in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Why does this happen? Of all the cities, you could argue, well, it's because Jesus could see down the road that there were going to be many converts and he wanted Paul to stay there for a long time. That's very probable, but I would ask you, was there anything personal going on in Paul's life where he needed such encouragement? And if you piece together the story of Acts and all the writings that come out to the Corinthians in 1 and 2 Corinthians, I think you can make a strong case to say Paul was perhaps discouraged Think of it. Every town he goes to, he gets beat up or made fun of or something. And you begin to flinch after a while. Can you imagine every time you go up to the plate at Petco Park, uh, you get beamed by the pitcher? Do you think that maybe by the fifth or sixth time, 
uh, when the fastball comes high and inside, you just don't step away just a little bit because this is, here it comes again. Plus the fact that he loved the Jews so much. And why aren't they opening up? Uh, later, Paul will write that he could die himself. He could wish himself to be accursed to win uh, his own people. So perhaps Paul had a, 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 an emotional uh, encounter between Athens and Corinth, and he comes to Corinth in a different way. In fact, in Corinthians 2.3, Paul reminds them, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. There was something uh, of weakness that Paul was experiencing as he came to Corinth. And I believe that this encounter is not just to tell him, yeah, I have chosen a lot of people in this town, stay here for a long time, that Paul needed an attaboy. Do you ever need an attaboy? Folks, I'm telling you that I've discovered over the last 40 years that Christians often have a different Jesus from the moment they accept Christ to the Jesus that they serve later on in life. And, it's, and it should not be. It's the same Jesus. What I mean by that is when we come to Christ, we're broken, we need a Jesus that's gonna save me, that's gonna love me, that's gonna be patient with me, that understands my weakness and my brokenness. After a while, we feel pretty good. After a while, we're serving and we're doing this, and what do I want now? I want a Jesus, or at least I begin to experience a Jesus that's pushing me and saying, come on, harder, faster, more. You can do it, yeah, this, and we don't know how to come back to the first Jesus, that Jesus, I'm just a little, I'm just a little kid that needs, that needs your love. I need your saving. And what I want to tell you today, Jesus never changes. The Jesus that you see in the Gospels, in every page, broken person healed, broken person loved, broken person saved, over and over and over, that is the same Jesus you serve today. And he knows your weakness. And he's not expecting you to fix yourself up to come to him today. You can come to him just as you originally did, whatever it is. Whether it's sin, whether it's just discouragement, whether it's uh, uh, difficulties in relationship or business where you say, I, I should have had it all together by now. I've I've known him for 20 years. I should have. Come on, foreman, get it together. Can you just come to him? Is the hymn that Billy Graham used for so many years, just as I am today? Or did you turn from the prodigal son to the older brother? somewhere in your journey of following Jesus, where when you returned originally, you said, I am not worthy to be called your son. I just have nothing. In, in my pockets, it's nothing but poverty of spirit. Poor. But after a while, I am pretty amazing. And, and, I, and I, I should have had it all together, and I should be doing just fine. But so there's Paul in Corinth. 
He just needs a savior like he always did. And Jesus shows up with an attaboy. And we don't know what Paul said, but it's not simply auditory. Where you and I would say, well, I, I didn't maybe hear a voice, but just an impression on my heart. I feel like God spoke to me. It's a vision. He sees Jesus. And, and how rock solid Jesus was in the vision, it's a big deal. And it must have been just what Paul needed. And God will meet you just the way you need to be met. You know, people have told me God spoke me to me through a rock song. God spoke to me through the clouds. God spoke to me through waves. God spoke to me through other people. And, and they kind of share it sheepishly, like, I hope you don't feel like I'm, I'm a heretic, you know, just God spoke to me through a chocolate, dark chocolate uh, <laughs> pecan pie, you know. <laughs> God knows you. He's got you dialed in. And, and he knows how to come to just the moment that you and I need this. And the more you follow this thread, folks, this is where your strength lies. Paul later writes to the Corinthians about this very thing. And I'm going to throw the uh, PowerPoint person off right now because uh, it's, it, it, it's slide 30, if you got it there. But... Uh, where, where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus says this to him. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I'm not suggesting that that encounter was the same as the other encounter because there seems to be two encounters, but frankly, they could have been the same thing. Uh, but the message is the same. My my. Strength is found in weakness. You're coming through the wrong door. You're coming through the door of strength. And you ought to be coming through the door broke. That's where you found me in the first place. You with me? Have you ever been with someone, maybe at a party, you're meeting someone for the first time, and you're an attorney, you're a doctor, you're an engineer, whatever you happen to be, and someone comes up to you and tries to impress you with how much they know about what you do. Uh, you know, I, I actually experienced that a lot in my life, where, where people will come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Mark, good to know you. You know, my, uh, my uncle was a, a priest. And I said, well, good to know. And they said, you know, I love that verse. Ephesians 4.19, you know, I'm thinking, what's Ephesians 4.19, you know? <laughs> Have you read Bonhoeffer? You've read Kierkegaard? You know, this, this, this. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to be with you. Why, why, <laughs> because you're not sharing anything from your heart. It's, you're coming through the, the motive of impressing me, like you, me, you know, we're, we're the same, rather than... Hey, how's it going? Uh, let's get to know each other, you know? So what if we did that with Jesus? Hey, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. 
How'd I do with that uh, Acts 18 sermon today? You know, felt pretty good about it. What were you feeling? And just, it's the wrong door. The door of your strength is a bad door. The door of your might and your wisdom, and Paul, again, talks about that in Corinthians. Not working. And he discovers in this encounter in Corinth the door, the powerful door of weakness. Because when you go through the door of weakness, you're hanging on to Jesus. And that's where your strength is. So now watch how this plays out in real life after the vision. In verse 12, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the Torah, the law. Verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak in his own defense, so this is a, a legal trial in front of Gallio, Gallio interrupts and says, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, I would be reason, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own Torah, settle matters yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them out. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, who happens to be the rabbi, over the synagogue uh, and beat him in front of the proconsul and Gallio showed no concern whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. So what happens here? And let me show you on the screen. There's a place in Corinth that still exists today. Uh, this is the Bema throne and this is where the proconsul sat. Uh, you can see the, the Greek letters in this little plaque here. It says Bema. Uh, the Greek here in Acts 18 is Bematos, which is uh, the, the, just a different declension of the same word. And, and right below this mountain uh, at the edge of Corinth is right where the proconsul had this trial. So this is the very spot that Paul is standing where you are now being tried, charged with disturbance of the peace for proclaiming a new God, a different God, and in his own flesh and blood, Jews are accusing him of this, and Gallio is hearing this, and he decides, he makes this incredible decision, which may escape you initially. It's, it's a decision for religious freedom. It's a decision... It's a decision to say we as the government are going to stay secular in our belief and we are not going to interfere with what a person personally wants to believe. You guys got to work that out yourselves. Uh, it's a big deal. I just say that. I'm not, that's not the point of the message. But 
to be a part of the United Nations today, you have to sign a statement believing in the freedom of every human being in your country, whether, whether it be uh, gender, whether it be religion, uh, whether it be race. And they signed this pact, and then there's at least 50 nations in the world today that persecute or restrict Christians and or other religions uh, against what they've actually signed. And, and Christians are always crying out for religious freedom. Please, as a government, go secular. <laughs> Do not decide what I should believe. That's what, what Christians all throughout the Muslim world uh, pray for. Isn't it interesting? And this is a decision that is made right here. The importance of freedom uh, politically for us to carry out our Christianity. So because of this freedom, Paul now stays for a year and a half completely free, lingually, uh, to proclaim the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, in regards to this picture, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And that word there is bematos. We must all appear before the bema seat of Jesus. Not the great white throne judgment of heaven or hell, but this is to sift through uh, the rewards that we'll, we'll receive from Jesus. And Paul talks about that many times, that some things that we think we're going to be rewarded for, we're not. Bad motives. We did it uh, out of spite or whatever, and then, and, or we did it out of pride, and Jesus says, you already received your reward. But that is what Paul has in mind, and as he writes that to the Corinthians, they have a picture in my, their minds of the Bema seat. So Paul, wonderfully, this broken man who finds strength in Jesus again, he turns for a year and a half from evangelist to pastor. It's an interesting thing to think about. You know, evangelist, he's there from three to six weeks. Bam, you need the gospel. Ah, dirty diaper, I'm out of here. We're going to let the pastor deal with that. We're just going to bring you to faith. We're going to birth you, and then I'm out of here. But Paul now turns from evangelist to pastor, and you can see how much he loves these people as he pens in detail over the practical issues they face later on, both in First and Second Corinthians. By the way, it was in Corinth that Paul writes one of the very first epistles, First uh, Thessalonians. It's debated whether First Thessalonians or Galatians was the first epistle to be written. So at least second earliest from Corinth. And both of those books are written right here in Corinth. So my friends, on this wonderful hot weekend, <laughs> um, embrace your poverty. I know you're amazing. I know you're amazing. But it's okay to not be amazing. 
It's okay before Jesus to just be you. He's not asking you to turn straw into gold. He's not cracking the whip at you. He wants to encourage you, wants to strengthen you. He wants to be with you. Remember, Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have come to call sinners, not righteous. So abandon that skin of how great you are and how strong you need to be and how right you need to be and return to the Jesus that you found when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ and hear him say again, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then watch. It was also to the Corinthians that he penned, with every testing, there's a way of escape. Just like God gave Paul an escape route right there as he came to him. God's going to come in some way to you to show you a way out of your difficulty. So how do we live this Christian life? Never apart from Jesus. Always needing Jesus. And cast all of our cares on him because he what? He cares for you. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org. Thank you.